Let's get to our next guest because there's no shortage of things to speak about with Andrew Demetrio, as there always is, and he's very generous with his time as always. Andrew, thanks for joining us again on Sports Day. G'day, Kane. How are you? I'm terrific. I, I, I mean, I wanted to get you on because there's so many issues, as I just said. None bigger, I guess, than, than Melbourne. And I, I want to get your thoughts on when is the appropriate time for the CEO of the AFL to get involved, as Gillian McLaughlin has done at Melbourne, and that's been reported now that conversation was meant to be private, no doubt, but it has become public, Andrew. You would hear rumours all the time. When do you act on them and when don't you? Can you give us your expertise on that? Oh, that's a difficult question and it's a, it's a, a tricky one because I don't, I don't know the involvement that Gil had with various issues and when he got mm. involved, but as a general principle... The AFL CEO is always informed along the way. I mean, you know, I think clubs in general have come to the view that it's far better to be transparent, cooperative and collaborative with the AFL and the administration and therefore no surprises is a far better, uh, I think, policy to, to adopt than trying to cover up things. So, you know, when you're informed, you can deal with things, you can ask questions, you can act on certain things, you get involved in various conversations. And you know what you're dealing with. And when you're in the dark and yeah. you're trying to cover up things, you normally get into strife. So, you know, my guess is that far better to be open and transparent with the AFL, the admin, the CEO, the executive, and then deal with what you've got in front of you. Mm. So in your time, not, not much surprised you and came out of the blue? Uh, a lot surprised me came, but it didn't. But, it, but it, it, sometimes it came out of the blue. So... Yeah. Um, you know, I think I often say to people when asked what sorts of prerequisites you need to have the job, you know, one was dealing with the unexpected because often you prepare for certain scenarios, you deal with club issues, you deal with financial issues, you deal with laws of the game, things that are pragmatic and have a sensible outcome or some methodology to deal with it. But when something happens completely out of the blue and you, and you are faced with it, then you've got to go into a different mode of thinking and you sometimes draw on outside expertise. You try and gather as much information as possible. You ask a lot of questions, but dealing with the unexpected is a very tricky situation. Mm. I want to ask you about the illicit drugs policy, which which does pop up for discussion, uh, certainly on, on Talkback Radio. And when it bubbles over, we had a couple of cases in, in one week, really, with a, with a player provisionally suspended on, on match day, which has been well reported, and another separate out-of-competition issue with Gold Coast player Elijah Hollands. You were at the forefront, I think, of the introduction of the illicit drugs policy when it first came in, and it was always about player well-being, wasn't it, Andrew? Do you think it's now moved from that? And they, ha they have tightened it a little bit, but rarely, if ever, do we see a player um, get caught is, is probably the wrong term, but be found guilty of a, a second offence, which means their name becomes public. Is it strict enough? And how have you observed the evolution of it? It was always a medical model. It was a, a, it was a, a player welfare model, an education model, a preventative model. And that's how I think it's been maintained. Interestingly, I heard a talkback caller on this station the other day ring up and go off his nut about the fact that this player had taken illicit drugs and the AFL had to have a good look at itself and its illicit drugs policy and what's it doing and the policies, it's a joke and the, the normal commentary on it. I was sitting there interested because, I mean, it's not the policy that, that causes players to take illicit drugs. 
Mm. It's got nothing to do with the policy. But the policy doesn't sit there and all of a sudden someone says, oh, there's a policy there, I might as well go and take a look at drugs. When the players are the most educated, as you would know, Kane, yeah. lots of sessions, lots of education, and you get caught, you go into a, a, a process of further education and, and, and periodic testing. It's not the policy that, that affects these young men who make these decisions. The policy is just there to deal with those that, that fall beneath the cracks. Um, it, there's lots of other issues external to the policy that are causing these issues, and one may be societal issues, one may be mental health issues, one may be um, trying to run the gauntlet, pressure. Um, it may be that they're just not educated enough, and they're running a risk, or they just, mm. or they just don't, or don't care. So you um, don't think it's a deterrent? You don't think if the policy was stricter, it would deter players from perhaps taking that risk? I don't think so because I think illicit drugs are one thing. I think the the the, the actual Asada drug policy that deals with performance enhancing is a deterrent enough because the penalties are you know two to four years and they seem to be working. We haven't had many players test positive for anabolic steroids or performance enhancing. Mm. Um, you know, well, there's no evidence to show that these are performance enhancing. They're illicit drugs. They're illegal. They're scourged on the competition. The young men make some poor decisions from time to time. All right, we'll move on because we'll, we'll get bogged down on that. And I've got a few things else I, I need to ask you. None more so than Pete Philandy's making a splash uh, overseas, which he can. He's been in Vegas, Andrew, and he's puffing his chest out. There's a sign <laughs> on the stadium in Vegas which says the NRL is Australia's biggest sport. He says that it will be, and the AFL is missing a trick for not going international. What's the debate with taking the game? internationally because it's i mean it's happened before with i guess limited success look i've got a lot of respect for peter i think he does a great a great job for his code and for racing because he's out there and he's getting making noise and getting publicity and when you're in that role that's what you want half the time because it's it's free publicity and it's it's it actually sells the game so i've got to take my hat off to him because he's done a great job but you know peter always talks big everything he does is big Mm. Um, I think I think you said he said that the NRL will be the biggest game in Australia. Uh, well, I I think he actually said it is. I don't think he said it will be. I think he said it is, <laughs> and that's up for debate. I mean, I think the numbers and dollars and broadcast rights and crowds and would tell you otherwise. But I mean, I think the greatest strength of of Australian rules football and AFL football is what people perceive as its greatest weakness, and that is it's not global and international and I mean, the NFL is an Indigenous game, and it's the, one of the biggest games in the world. The AFL punches above its weight. Its crowds are probably on third, I think they're third average, the highest crowds of any football code in the world for a population of 26 million. That's a phenomenal effort. So mm. I don't think it needs to pursue a global presence other than for talent. And it, it, you've seen it. It's got Irish players playing, some basketballers, Mason Cox from America, uh, some African players. It'll continue to pursue for global talent, and that's about as global as it needs to be. Mm. How delicate is is the balance of getting the game as safe as it possibly can be without losing the elements that we love? And just recently, we've seen a, a tackle from the Western Bulldogs AFLW player Brittany Goodnick, who was, to what you and I would know, a really fair tackle. Andrew, she was sent straight to the tribunal, facing a three week sanction. Now she got off that 
thank goodness, I thought. But then the AFL has said, look, if we need to adjust the rules to make it safer and outlaw tackles like this, we will do that. How delicate is it for for the game to, I guess, weigh these things up? I think it's uh, terribly challenging for Andrew Dillon and his administration and for Laura, who I think will be an excellent general manager of football operations. Mm. You've got to find the right balance, Kane. I mean, I I saw that tackle. I agree with with what you said. You can't rid the game of tackles like that. The fact is that the player just didn't see the other player coming and got hit with a phenomenal tackle. And um, yes, you can get hurt, but you can't legislate out of the game completely contact. Sometimes there's accidents, sometimes there's fair tackles, sometimes there's going to be two players going for the ball at the same time and they'll have a collision and someone will get hurt. But, you know, I think they, they are endeavouring as well as much as possible with the right research to try and find the right balance with legislating some things out of the game to prevent injuries, which is the right thing. But you just got to walk a very fine line in case you go in case you cross that line. Andrew, Jared will be flat that he wasn't here to participate in this interview. I know uh, you're one of his favourites, so we'll, we'll get you on in future when he returns from holidays. But as always, really appreciate your time and your insights this evening. Anytime, Kane, and give my regards to your father. <laughs>